what if, what if the life of Jesus looked like an epic story? What if the life of Jesus looked like an epic story? Like one of those stories that takes many, many books to, to explain and to, 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 to lay out and, and, to, and to tell us uh, the, the things from beginning to end. Well, what if they uh, put Jesus' life on the big screen, right? And it was, his story is told with cinematic glory. All of a sudden you see you know, sweeping views of, of landscapes. You begin to hear the music swell and there. There we see him coming. We see the light on the horizon. We see hope in the distance. Sometimes in these stories, in these movies, the, the director, they, they drop you right in the middle of the action, right in the middle of a battle, right in the middle of a conflict. Other times, they'll just kind of ease into things, right? Get your feet wet just slowly, a little bit at a time. Things begin to build gradually to, to a, a fantastic crescendo. They like, some directors allow you to get your bearings for what is happening around you. But eventually, eventually along the way, you're introduced to the hero. And sometimes it's obvious, right? There are some movies it is glaringly obvious, like he's the hero, she's the star. They're the ones that everything is surrounding her. Everything is going to pivot around her. Everything is going to work around and towards her. Sometimes, though, that the hero is, is a little more subtle. You know, kind of like finding Frodo in Bag End. Like finding Luke Skywalker in Tatooine. All of a sudden, he's like, is, is, this, is this the one? He's kind of quiet. He's small. He's kind of unassuming. He's, is is what can really be, what can really happen? What can this individual, what can this character really do? It doesn't appear that it can be all that important, but as things become, move along, all of a sudden you realize it can be vitally important to overcoming the obstacle, to restoring hope, to restoring peace in the world. There's other things about epic stories like this. There's always seems to be some sort of massive evil, right? Some sort of massive evil that's going to overtake the world. It's going to overtake the universe. It's going to, that, that, that must be got rid of. That must be eliminated. The world is, if the world as we know it, if not the world as we know it is going to come to an end. If someone doesn't act, if someone doesn't move, if someone doesn't do something. And the problem in our story today is that God has been silent for 400 years. 400 years of, of no word from God, no prophet, no vision, no guidance, no help. They've kind of been seemingly left on their own to sort it out. And from time to time, leaders would rise up and they would try to throw off the oppressor and, and to varying degrees of, of, of success, they did so. You see certain leaders rise up and they begin to push back and, and maybe there's freedom for a little while, but then someone else comes in and and they did this mostly by man's effort. See, the people of God, God's people, they've been long awaiting for their hero, for the Messiah to come. God had promised one who would come and establish the kingdom again. And so every time a new leader would rise up, there'd be this promise that they would make Israel great again. And the people would rally around them. And then their time would pass. They would die. And to the old way of life. None of it was sustainable because all of it, none of it was done from God's perspective. All of it was done through the work and the strength of man. They, they knew the Messiah was coming. They knew the Messiah would come. 
Because God had promised, promised long ago that he, that the Messiah would come. And God was working to restore Israel, even when they didn't see it. He was working behind the scenes to move things around, to create the right opportunity for the, for the, for the mission of Jesus to spread throughout the world, to, to, to move from this little corner of the world to the very edges of civilization. See, in epic stories, you would think that someone important ought to be born in a big castle, a big city, to important people in important places. But we see that God doesn't always work that way. See, he found David in a field, tending sheep. He found Elisha. He was, he was plowing a field with oxen. He found Gideon threshing wheat in a well. God makes it a habit to use the unthought of and the overlooked. See, I think he does so for, for a very specific reason. Because see, when hope comes from an unexpected place, you can't attribute it to the skill of the individual, but to the source of their power. See, when hope comes from an unexpected place, you can't say, well, yeah, obviously he was the smartest person in the room. She, she was the most creative. He was the strongest. They had the biggest army. But when hope comes from an unexpected place, you have to look a little bit deeper to see where the source of their power, their strength, their influence came from. David was just a shepherd boy. Elisha working on his family's farm. And Gideon was so scared that he was threshing wheat in a well, a job that needed wind. He was in a windless place. And so we're going to start where all good sagas, all good stories start. We're going to start at the very beginning. So if you would turn with me today to Luke chapter one, and we're going to go look at verses 26 to 38. We're going to start here at the beginning because it's always a good thing to have like the backstory to your favorite character. It's always fun to have the backstory to the hero. Where did he come from? How, how did his life begin? What were the things that were important? How was he raised? Where did he come from? Now, I'm not calling Jesus a character like a character in your favorite novel. He's not just uh, uh, someone made up. He's not just some, but, 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 he's not just, but he's also more than just a historical figure, right? Jesus, Jesus, while Jesus was a real person, he's also more than that, right? I mean, he's, he's not just like, he's, he's like us, but he's also more than us. So to see the whole picture of where he came from and how he makes, how that impacted him and kind of makes everything a bit more impressive. See, if we, if we, sometimes it helps us to look at Jesus from a human point of view. It's easy because it's easy for us to lift up Jesus from a spiritual perspective, right? We can say, oh, well, he's God's son. He is, he's God himself. And obviously it's easiest for, easy for us to, to lift him and admire him and, and praise him from that perspective. But maybe many of our friends and neighbors and family who, who may not give the same worship to Jesus, maybe we need to help them appreciate Jesus, the human, before we ever introduce an opportunity for them to worship Jesus as God. So Luke writes for us these words. <clears throat> In the sixth month of Elizabeth, Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are 
highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at at his words and, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He'll be great and be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give you, will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So holy one to be born will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. See, we get some of the timeline here. See, Luke is a physician. We learned that in his second, his second work called the book of Acts. And, and it's best if you read these two uh, works together to, to see how, how, how the first part t- tells the story of Jesus. And then in the second work, the book of Acts tells how the impact of Jesus, how he, how he raised up his disciples, who he raised up and trained, went out and changed the world. And so in that book, we learn that he is a physician. But on top of that, we learn that he is a top flight historian. In fact, the more that secular historians try to tear down and belittle scripture, especially Luke and Acts, they find more and more how good, how accurate of a historian Luke really was. And so he begins to, to lay this out for us. See, even he, he, he is above, even above any of the other well-known historians of the time. Why? Because Luke went and did eyewitness interviews. He went and talked to the people directly, the people who were there, the people who <clears throat> saw the events, who heard the stories, who, who understood, who could, have, could, could give him all the details of what happened. And it, this was written and, and put out with enough time that those, many of those were still alive. And so, you know, th- there's been a number of different times that we've told stories in our, in our household. And, and sometimes one or more of us get the details wrong. And someone has to step in and say, no, 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 that's not how it happened. No, no, no. It was more like this. It was, the day was more like that. It was more like this instead of, you missed this part here. And, and you, you probably do that too. The, the, you know, as, as time goes on, the fish got a little bit bigger. You know, there are, there are a few more points on the antler of that deer. There's, you know, it was a colder day. It was a hotter day, but whatever to, to make the story bigger and grander, we tend to, it, it, stories tend to evolve and grow over time. And so Luke, as he's talking, he's corroborating stories. He's corroborating everybody's eyewitness testimony. He puts it together into this document that we call the gospel of Luke. And as he does this, he doesn't write just from a singular point of view. He does it from Many perspectives. And so it tells the story of how the angel Gabriel came to visit Mary. It occurs during the sixth month of Zechariah's, uh, after Zechariah's visitation from Gabriel, when he was working in the temple. That, 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 that occurrence left Zechariah mute. He was unable to speak. And, and so this, what, what, what Gabriel came to tell Zechariah was that they too were going to have a child. And that's why Elizabeth is six months 
pregnant. And then the six months, uh, after six months after that visitation, in Elizabeth, the six months of her pregnancy, God sends Gabriel to a small little town called Nazareth to a little girl named Mary. Now, when we think little girl, sometimes we start, Mary was probably a teenager. Now, Mary is probably somewhere uh, 13 to 16. And, and she's, she's here. She's, she's living in the uh, Jewish territory known as Galilee. Now, Galilee was, uh, was a Jewish area to the north of Jerusalem. Uh, Galilee was up in the north, and it was separated from Judea around where Ju- uh, Jerusalem was by the land of Samaria, where the Samaritans were. And the Samaritans, while they were uh, kind of distant relatives, their life was vastly different. So they became uh, enemies to the Jews. And so they were separated. These two Jewish areas were separated. And so those in Galilee were often thought of as a little more of the, the, the rednecks of society. They, were, uh, they lived in the boondocks. They were people who lived in the podunks. They weren't thought to be as intelligent or as that, that their faith wasn't as serious because a serious person would live closer to Jerusalem. So those who were really important would live closer to an important place. So they were seen as unimportant people living in an unimportant place because the real movers and shakers would live closer to Jerusalem. So God did not send Gabriel to Jerusalem again. He sent, that's where Zechariah was when he was working in the temple, when he saw Gabriel. He didn't send Gabriel to a priest. <clears throat> no, he sent, her to, he sent him to a teenage virgin in Nazareth. So he sends Gabriel with a very important message to tell Mary. He says, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, can you imagine this? You have this teenage girl uh, and she may, you know, and she is going through all those sort of things, you know, what, 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 you know, all the sort of things that teenage girls probably would be going through at this time. And, and I was, as I was thinking about this, imagine if, if Mary had just been reprimanded by her parents, maybe there's a conflict, maybe there's, there's this kind of discussion, there's tension in the house and, and maybe she was uh, having to be disciplined for something. I don't know. And all of a sudden Gabriel shows up and says, greetings, you who are highly favored. Maybe she starts looking, even if there wasn't that, can you imagine? She's probably looking around going, me? Me? Yeah, yeah. Who, who am I? Who am I that you would pass this greeting on to me? She begins to look around and wonder, are you, are you talking to me? Because here's something you need to know about the social structure at the time. Women in general had very little value. And the younger you got as a, as, as a, as a female, as, as a woman, the less value you had. I mean, you couldn't get much lower in social status than Mary. <clears throat> Which, you, know, you think, well, maybe if she was part of an important family. But likely she wasn't. Likely she was just part of a, of a peasant family living in Nazareth. Yeah, because what, as I said earlier, what important family would choose to live in Nazareth? So a mover and a shaker, Mary was not. She was about as low as you could get in the social hierarchy. But a change was coming. So Mary was greatly troubled, obviously. Whenever angels appear, people always start to get a little bit freaked out, right? They, they always, maybe they, they, they start to bow to worship. They, they, they're scared because we, we, a lot of times we, our pictures of angels are these sweet things. Like, how, how could you be scared of that? You know, some dude standing around in a diaper or a robe with wings. But odds are they were massive warriors. One description in, in a book called them a warrior of light. 
Can you imagine? They, they've, they've spent all this time in, in God's presence, and so his holiness, his, his brightness is, is shining off of them, is reflecting off of them. And so all of a sudden, wherever Mary's at, maybe it's day, maybe it's night. I, I always picture it at night. I don't know why. I always picture it like in the evening. Like Gabriel shows up, and probably because that makes the brightness even brighter. And so she's like, you know, and so she is overwhelmed. And Gabriel says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And that's always the first words that come out of the mouth of an angel. He says, you've been favored by God. You've been chosen. You've been selected. And you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will call him Jesus. Now, Mary, does Mary realize that this is going to happen immediately? This is going to happen right now? Maybe she's thinking, great, when Joseph and I get married, we won't be barren. We won't have to go through the same struggles that Zechariah and Elizabeth did. At some point, we're going to have a son. That is great. And so maybe there's some of this anticipation that, oh, you know, that, 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 that relief in her heart. And Gabriel goes on. He says, he will be great and be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants. His kingdom will never end. And somewhere along the way here, you begin to realize that Mary's like, oh, this is not future. This is now. This is, this is going to happen now in the present. Because how could someone from Nazareth, poor little old Nazareth, how could they be the ruler of Israel? And so Mary, begins, Mary asks a very important question. How? Right? How? I mean, she knows the mechanics of procreation. She knows how things are supposed to happen. And she's like, those things haven't happened. And so along the way, she's like, and with all this, this is not going to be any ordinary baby. You know, this is not going to be any ordinary child. There's going to be something different about him. And so Mary's like, how is this going to happen? Now for us, it, it, we know that another aspect that, that, that changes from our perspective to theirs is, is that they had different stigmas for teenage pregnancy. These days, we might look and go, oh, they made a certain choice. They did certain things. But, but back then, this was a punishable offense. And, and we're not talking jail time. We're not talking probation. We're not talking community service. She could have been stoned for unfaithfulness. She was pledged, uh, Matthew would say, betrothed to a man named Joseph. And when we, for, for us, we can think, oh, they're engaged. Well, yes and no. This betrothal, this pledge is, is more than our engaged, but less than married. So it kind of falls in this. And the only way to, you know, the only way to break up this pledge, this, this betrothal, is through a writ of divorce. She would have to go through uh, the, the process of divorce and be marked that way. If that was going to happen, she could have been stoned. This is something. <clears throat> so it shows. So if, if she shows up pregnant, what's Joseph going to think? You know, he's going to think she's been unfaithful. And so the best she can hope for is that Joseph just divorces her and, and she can go on living and she can have the baby. But at worst, she gets stoned to death. But even if she is divorced and she has the baby, at that time, who's going to want a woman who already has a child? So this decision, this opportunity is going to significantly change her life. And so she knows 
she knows what she, as she's considering this, as she's pondering this, she's like, this is, this is going to be difficult. This is going to be, uh, how, how is this going to happen? And Gabriel says, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary, I, I can, I, she, she's beginning to process all this. And, and what, does this, what does this mean? What is, how is this going to you know, occur? What does this mean for me? And then Gabriel says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she was, who was uh, thought to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. You can almost picture Mary going, you know, slap, slap the cheeks, mouth wide open going, what? Elizabeth? Elizabeth is going to have a baby? If that can happen, this can happen. See, if God can cause that to occur, then God can do this in me. God can do this for me as well. So Mary's, I love Mary's response. Mary's response is simple. It's direct, but it's all in, right? I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. You know what she said? I'm in. 100% all in. She pushes all of her chips in. No matter what Joseph is going to choose, no matter what Joseph decides, even if Joseph divorces me, even if they threaten to stone me, no matter what, no matter what I may face, I'm in. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And so I wonder, have you ever felt out of your league? Have you ever felt outmanned and over your head in a situation you are entirely unprepared for? And that's okay. Because when we look at the beginning of the Christmas story, I'm pretty sure that's exactly how Mary felt. How am I going to do this? What's ahead? She didn't know what this was going to look like. She understood pregnancy, uh, you know, uh, you know, as an as an adult, as a married person with a establishing a family. She didn't understand this situation, and Mary could have seen all the reasons why to say no, and just said no and walked away. This is going to threaten both her character and her life. And so, a lot of times when we are faced with those situations, we take the route of self preservation. We, we take the easy, easy way. We step back. We back out. We walk away. Because a lot of times we let self-preservation kick in instead of walking by faith. And that's not saying we should be reckless. I think God gave us minds to, to, to reason, to consider, and to have wisdom. This shouldn't be a reason to put ourselves in unnecessarily dangerous situations. God has given us wisdom to know the difference. But can I encourage you with these words today? Don't let fear override your faith. Don't let your fear override your faith. Mary could have easily walked away. She could have said, whoa, Gabriel, that is too much. I am, I'm not your girl. this This is not for me. And God could have chosen someone else. Mary had free will in all of this. So sometimes I think when we read this, we think there's automatic. Mary's going to say, oh yeah, I'm in. Mary, you see, if Mary lets fear override her faith, the blessing goes to somebody else. And so of course, sometimes we think, of course, Mary's going to say yes, but Mary had free will and you could tell because she was greatly troubled when the angel came. She was greatly troubled. Someone 
sometimes what God calls us to and the blessing of, that God might stir up, uh, that God has for us, might, on the way there, might stir up some fear and trepidation. And for all the fear she felt when Gabriel arrived, you hear someone far more, more, far more resolute by the end of the conversation. We, we hear something, something far more, you know, you, she's like, whoa, she's afraid, she's troubled. By the time she gets to the end, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you said. And along the way, though, she has some questions, right? It's okay to question God. How is this going to happen? Why me? Are you, are you sure? But the lesson in all this, though, is to don't let your questions get in the way of your obedience. Don't let your questions get in the way of your obedience. See, Zechariah, you know, he, Gabriel comes to him and says, you guys are going to have a baby. And he's like, how? Almost the exact same question. But his comes from, his question is set more in a position of doubt. He asked how, because they've been praying for a child for years. He's like, seriously, now, at my old age, are you sure this is going to happen? Mary asks a similar question, but her how isn't, how's it going to happen? It's like, you know, in my status, in my station in life, I, I, I've, I've not done the mechanics. I'm not, I'm not, we've not done that. How is that going to happen? So for all the fear she felt when Gabriel arrived, you hear someone far more resolute. See, God may, God may give you the answers to your questions. He may not. So the question is, are you willing to say yes without all of your questions answered? See, Mary didn't know if Joseph was still going to marry her. She was not promised family support. She was not promised the help of friends. What she knows is that the Holy Spirit will come upon her. And the power of the most high will overshadow her that she has God's presence to walk in this situation. She's not promised people, but she's promised God's presence. We begin to think about Mary. She's low in the totem pole. She didn't have power. She didn't have position, but just because you are small or insignificant doesn't mean that God can't use you to do something big or important. So if you remember her place in, her, uh, in the social strata, there was not much further down you could go. She was going to become an unwed mother. What will they say about her? What will this mean for her character, for her integrity? If Joseph rejects her, who will be willing to marry her? What are her prospects? Her position continues to, be, to dwindle. See, she was just a small town girl living in a lonely world. Until the news of what Gabriel shared with her made, was, was made known. So even though she's small and insignificant in the world's eyes, God is about to do something huge through her by bringing his son into the world. But this only happens because she didn't let her fear override her faith. So don't let your fear override your faith because when we do so, we miss out on what God wants to do through us. Mary didn't say yes for the fame it would bring. In fact, I'm sure that was the last thing on her mind. She said yes because of her love for God and her desire to serve him. So here's my challenge this week. Say yes to something that brings you fear. Say yes to something that scares you just a little bit. Say yes to something that as you step out with that yes, you're trusting that God will walk with you to help bring it about. 
Mary doesn't go through this on her own, on her own. The Holy spirit overshadows her. The power of the most high walks with her. And Jesus said to us, as he ascended into heaven, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you to the very end of the age. So we don't walk alone. So let's not let our fear override our faith. And this week, when something comes up that scares us just a little bit, let's step out in obedience and trust that God walks with us. Maybe it's speaking up. Maybe it's taking action. Maybe it's just putting yourself in a position that God could use little old you to do something small that might turn into something big. See that thing that can never happen. That thing can never happen though. If we stay on our couch, if we stay on the sideline, if we stay silent, no, we have to step up. We have to get in the game. We have to put our body in motion to move in obedience with God. So what can you say yes to this week that lets God use you to do something for him? Just like Mary had to say yes. Maybe at Christmas, this is our turn to say yes to Jesus. He came born of a woman born under law to redeem those under the law. So we might become the adopted sons of God, that we might be welcomed into his family. Our sins separate us from God. That's why we walk in darkness. That's why this time before John the Baptist is born, before Jesus is born, is this time of darkness. But into that darkness, this light appeared. Because Jesus came to shine the light to show us the way home. So maybe today is the day that we need to say yes to Jesus and give our lives to him. To accept him as our savior, to be baptized into him, to have our sins washed away, to repent of our sins and to walk in new life with him. Maybe today, just like Mary, we might be called into something that scares us. And so our next step might be to step into service for God. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me just as you have said. Well, how can we serve Jesus this week? So maybe it's stepping into ministry. Maybe it's helping out here in the church. Maybe it's stepping into something in the community where, where we can begin to serve those around us and show them the love of God in a practical, tangible way that becomes an opportunity for us to build a bridge into people's lives and share with them the hope of the gospel. What could God be calling you into this week? Maybe, maybe today you, you, you have a next step you need to take. We'd love it if you'd share that with us. You can go find that on our connect uh, page at cchmd.com slash connect. Fill out the connection card there. You can see next steps. You can check the appropriate box. And uh, we'd love to, to pray with you and, and, and walk with you and help you grow in that. Maybe today you need someone to pray with you. There'll be some of us around that we can pray with you. You can talk about whatever decision, whatever steps you need to take today to follow Jesus more closely. So here at the beginning of the Christmas season, May our faith overcome our fear so God can accomplish his will and his mission through us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you came to someone who seems small, who seem insignificant. That, Father, you choose to work through those who just seem to be ordinary. And through them, you do extraordinary things. And so, Father, may we act like Mary. May we see ourselves as your servants. Would we 
let our fear over or let our faith overcome our fear that we might walk with you. That father, you might use us just as we go through our daily walk just through our life this week. Father, you would use us to help others know who Jesus is better. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love for us. Father, would you help us to share your, the, the message of Christmas, the hope of Christmas with those that we see. Lord, we love you. and We praise you for all that you've given us, especially Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Hey, we hope you have a great week and we look forward to seeing you again next Sunday.